Okay, let's, uh, let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, truly we pray that we will take our mind off the festivities of the last few days and return to your word. And may your word powerfully instruct us on the right way to live so that we may be confident of our hope of heaven. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, um, I've been reading this book uh, over the last few days. And actually, no, it's not quite right. I've been reading this book over the last few months and I have only really gone through a quarter of it. And it's called On Being a Pastor. And it's uh, quite a heavy book. And I can always tell a good book because uh, it's been reprinted a few times, right? So this book actually was printed in 1989 and it's actually been printed many times and it's, uh, it's still in print. So you can tell if a, good, a book is good because people want to read it and it keeps getting reprinted. And in this book, as I was reading it, it said that uh, preaching uh, is actually dying. In fact, in many churches in the West, preaching is dead. And he says that uh, part of the reason why preaching is dead in the West is because the culture of, uh, of our day uh, says that it's very rude to tell people what to do. Isn't it? Don't you think so? We, you know, we sort of feel like, you know, who are you to tell me what to do, to order people around or to command people? And uh, it's quite a, a, a reality, I think, because uh, if you remember last few weeks, uh, we had Quickwin and Belinda, who are our members who have now migrated to Perth, and they came to visit us. And I remember talking to them, and they were saying how when they're in Perth, they volunteer part-time to do counselling to, uh, to people. So if you ever go to Perth, you listen to this radio, it's called Sunshine FM, instead of Sun, S-U-N, it's S-O-N, right? Sunshine FM. And they have this counseling service, and that's where Quekun and Belinda are. And I was saying, oh, you know what do you do to help people? And apparently, when they counsel people, the number one rule is, you never tell them what to do. They're not allowed to tell people what to do. You can only listen, and you can, uh, you know, sort of say, what do you think is the right thing to do? And, and, and help them help themselves, so to speak. But you never, ever tell them what to do. And that's exactly what this book is saying. And he says that in churches all around the world today, you are told the pastor never tells you what to do and they never preach from the Bible as to what you should do with your life. So we uh, focus on experiences. And uh, recently my wife was saying that there was a children's church seminar which was given where apparently the speaker said that you should get the little children to lie on the ground and to ask them to close their eyes and to ask them, what is God saying to you now? And then after she's supposed to draw a picture of what God is saying to you. Right? So, again, it is not what God is saying, but you know what, what, what you feel is that God is saying, right? And uh, in the book as well, it was sort of saying that, you know, Martin Lloyd-Jones, this very famous preacher from England, said that there is a new kind of official in the church. And that new kind of official is the song leader. And the role of the song leader is to create the, the atmosphere in the church. And he said that the problem is that the, the song leader spends so much time producing the atmosphere that there's no time for, for preaching in the atmosphere. And then some other churches in the West, they focus instead of preaching on small groups. And in these small groups, instead of listening to what the Bible says, uh, they come to share their lives and they dialogue. And you know, what, what is your point of view? What is my point of view? And we dialogue and communicate. But how different uh, the Bible as we read today, right? Uh, in chapter 1, all the way to chapter 2, verse 5, We've been given information about Jesus. Uh, for those of you who've been following the preaching series and the Bible study, you know, we learn about Jesus. He's the Lord of creation. He's the Lord of the church. He's the Lord of forgiveness. 
in terms of there's no other way to find forgiveness except in Jesus. Uh, he's the Lord in terms of giving us knowledge about God. But today, as you see, it's not enough just to have knowledge. The Bible is very, very directive. It tells you exactly what you need to do, and it tells you what you mustn't do. So in verse 6 to 8, which is up here, oh, can you see the red? This is the eye test, right? If you can't see the red, something wrong with your eyesight. Okay? Okay, now, he gives you the information, and in verse 6, basically, it sums up, let me open my Bible, in verse 6, it sums up everything that has come before, isn't it, in the book of Colossians. So he begins by saying, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. And that's what chapter 1 is all about, isn't it? Jesus as Lord. If you've received Jesus as Lord, then you must act positively and you must act negatively. So, the first verse, right? Uh, next slide. How have we received Christ Jesus as Lord? Well, chapter 1 tells us all about the Lordship of Jesus that we are in the kingdom of Jesus, so Jesus is our Lord. He is the Lord of creation. You remember that? He's the sustainer of creation. Your breath, your next breath comes because Jesus gives you breath. He's the Lord of the church. He's the Lord in terms of giving us salvation from sin. And uh, last week, we saw that Jesus is the mystery that has been revealed. He reveals the knowledge of God. Now, it says that when we have received this information, we are not to change this information about God. And that's why there's that word, right, next slide. Just as, just as you've received Jesus as Lord, in all these ways, you must continue in them. See, the Christian life gives us very, very little in terms of uh, what we can do to change and make choices of our own when it comes to the knowledge of Jesus and of God, isn't it? See, it says that just as you've received Jesus, you can't choose a different Jesus, you can't choose a different gospel, you can't find another way. Just as you've received Jesus, you must continue in that way. Again, it's very counter-cultural, right? Because our culture is the buffet culture. We like to make choices, right? We like to choose exactly what appeals to us. But here, right from the very beginning in verse 6, he says, no, just as you've received Jesus, you must continue to live in Him. And the information we get demands a response. Now, the Bible not only restricts us on the knowledge or the content of the knowledge that we have, it restricts us on how we must respond to this knowledge. And here, and if you look at the verse uh, 6 and 7, it's actually imperative instruction. It's a command. It's a, it's a verb which is a command. It says we must live in Jesus. And how are we to live in Jesus? In four ways. To be rooted in Him. To be built up in Him. To be strengthened in the faith, faith as you were taught. And to be overflowing with thankfulness. All instructions, you notice they're not suggestions, they are not uh, things that you might want to consider, but these are commands. You must live this way now that you have received Jesus, just as you have been taught. Now, I'd like to look at the first one, the, the, the word here, continue to live in Him. Now, the word continue to live in Him 
literally is the word continue to walk in Jesus. Uh, for those of you who have the ESV, uh, the ESV Bible, which I have here, will say uh, continue to, to walk in Jesus. And I think that's actually a more accurate uh, use of the verb. Right? Continue to walk in Jesus. And the idea that I've shared with you before was like when I used to go to Penang as a young child and uh, we used to walk on the beach. And in those days, the beach in Penang was not so polluted, right? Because Penang is quite polluted now. There are jet skis everywhere. When I was there, there was no jet ski. Lah. Okay, we just walk on the beach. That's what you do for entertainment. And uh, what we used to do is, my father used to walk in front. And my sister and I, we used to walk in the footsteps of my father. Have you ever done that before? You know, you go to the beach and your father walks in front or your mother and you walk in their footsteps? Well, that's the picture that we're supposed to have here. We have to walk in Jesus. We're not to walk in our own footsteps. We're not to walk beyond Jesus, ahead of Jesus. We're not to walk in the footsteps of someone else. Because we receive Jesus in this way, we must continue to walk in Jesus. And when you understand it that way, it begins to make sense. The next few ideas are being rooted in Him, are being built up in Him. Now the next one, the idea is, if you walk in Jesus in this way, you will be rooted in Jesus. You'll be rooted in Him. Now today is a very sunny day, so I can't use this illustration. It's not so powerful, right? But before it was sunny, remember it was raining all the time? And uh, for those of you who drive, you notice that the, there are some trees which fall down. And usually these trees are the, the freshly implanted trees, like, you know, the, the ones that just put there, right? And then after a while it rains, the wind blows and it falls down. But look at that tree outside. You notice that tree in the turning circle when you come in? It's a very big tree, right? Don't you notice it's a really big tree outside there? If you ever open your eyes, you see, wow, that's a big tree, right? But you see that tree is big because it's got deep roots, isn't it? It's got deep roots. And that's the picture that we are to have. We are not to plant our roots somewhere else. We are to grow deep, deep, deep roots in Jesus. We are to draw our nutrients, draw our strength, draw our faith by having deep roots in Jesus. Not somewhere else, but in Jesus. And then it goes on to say, you are to be built up in Jesus. Now again, see the tree on the my left hand side, building on the right hand side. So you remember when they were building this uh, condo, right? Uh, they start off by knocking down the old condo, and then they, they build a foundation. But where do they build the building? They don't build the building where the foundation is not, isn't it? You don't build the foundation here and then build the, the building over here. It doesn't make sense. You build the building on the foundation, the foundation that you've already made. And that's the idea here, isn't it? You build up on Jesus. You don't build up somewhere else or on another property or another plot of land. You build up where the foundation is, which is where Jesus is. Then he goes on to say that we must be strengthened. Since we must be strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Uh, the idea of being strengthened here is again a building analogy. So if you, if you ever see them constructing the building next door, you'll notice that they don't just put brick after brick after brick and then they put a floor and then put some more bricks, right? But they have these uh, uh, steel rods and then they put cement uh, you know, to reinforce the whole structure, isn't it? So the idea here is you must reinforce, if you want to use the uh, appropriate word, strengthen in the faith as you were taught, is reinforcing the faith that you were taught. 
No, so the idea is, you don't just receive Jesus and say, okay, that's good. It's like you're building and you're reinforcing the faith that you have. Continually putting cement, pieces of uh, you know, steel to strengthen your faith in Jesus. Now the last part uh, is a bit confusing, right? Because okay, we rooted, yeah, understand. Built up, yeah, understand. Reinforce or strengthen, yeah, understand. But why must we be thankful, overflowing with thankfulness? Why do you think that might be? Well, the reason is because if you really are rooted in Jesus and built up in Jesus and strengthened in the faith, you will know more and more about Jesus. And who is Jesus? He is the Lord of creation. He is the Lord of church. He is God. And He died for you. He brought you into His kingdom. As you know that more and more, not just in your mind, but in your heart, how will you feel? You overflow with thankfulness, don't you think so? Because you appreciate more and more every day that this great God died to bring me into the kingdom. How can you not overflow with thankfulness? See, so the idea here is, how are we to walk in Jesus? Well, we're to be rooted. We're to be built up. We are to be strengthened or reinforced in our faith. And as we keep doing that, we will overflow with thankfulness every day because we will see who we are and what Jesus has done for us. Now, it's not enough to have positive instruction. We must also have negative instruction. Now, if we affirm Jesus, the reality is you will deny something else, don't you think? That's reality, isn't it? If you affirm something, something else must be wrong, isn't it? You cannot affirm something else. If something is black, it cannot be white. If something is white, it cannot be black. If you affirm something, there must be something negative. And that's exactly what is happening here because he, he's, he follows on the positive with the negative. Look at what it says in verse 8. Oh, sorry, we missed the pictures. Too bad. It's alright. Okay, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Now, the word here in verse 8 is see to it. Uh, but I don't like the word see to it. Okay, because uh, see to it it's a very mild sort of thing, you know. It's like my wife says to me, uh, Andrew, uh, see to it that you don't forget the milk when you come home, right? Or see to it that you don't forget to bring, uh, you know, buy rice at the NTUC. It's, it's like a, yeah, what does that mean, right? See to it. Uh, it's actually quite a strong warning, right? It's a warning here. It's like, beware, be on your guard. See to it, watch out. Watch out as you're rooted and built up in Jesus Christ that no one takes you captive. Okay, no one takes you. It's like, don't be kidnapped. Don't be captured. Uh, as a slave, or don't be captured in war. See to it, no one captures you, not by physical force, but by wrong ideas. And here, as we look up here, okay, there are four wrong ideas that people can get, and these things you must watch out for. Again, the NIV is not so helpful because NIV sort of combines it together, where it says, uh, see to it, no one takes you through hollow and deceptive philosophy, right? So it's just one thing. But actually, it's two things. It's, see to it, no one takes you captive by empty deceit. Right? No one gives you a con game, gives you a fraud or a fake. See, if you're built up in the real thing, the real deal of Jesus, see to it that no one gives you the fake thing. That's what he's saying. Okay, The fraud. 
See the word noun captures you through philosophy. Uh, in the original context, probably meant Greek philosophy or even Jewish wrong thinking. But now, you know, it's, it's the idea of anything which is a philosophical or ideal structure which doesn't come from God. And see to it that no one takes you captive through human traditions. Something that is not divine, but something that comes only from this world. But it's what the last part that I really want to uh, point your attention to. So turn to me to your Bible. So it says, the basic principles of the world rather than of Christ. Now when you look at this thing, the basic principles of this world, you sort of think, what does that mean? Right? It's like a very inanimate thing. right? It's like, okay, this lectern or chair, basic principles of the world. But the word, the, the, the phrase here is actually the elemental spirits of this world. Right? The, the spirits of this world is the idea of where there are forces in this world which are, are against God, against Jesus, who are against Christians and they want to take away the salvation of Christians. It says, look, if you follow Jesus, then don't be taken captive by these spirits, these forces which belong to this world but not of God. Now, I think that even if you just look at verse 6, 7 and 8, the one thing that comes to your attention is the Christian life is not a play-play thing, right? The Christian life is very serious. It is not a hobby, it is not a game. It is real and there are real dangers and these are real warnings. And that is why he keeps using such strong language, see to it, and he keeps repeating the idea, you know, like, for me, I always think myself, right, as parents, uh, you always take your children's study very seriously, right? So you have a tendency to nag. Lah. So why do you nag? See, usually you nag because something is important, right? Okay, so like, you give them all sorts of reasons why you should study. Like, you see your cousin is doing so well, ah, you should study hard, so right? You know, ah, you know, where do you want to go for your future? Ah, you must study hard. You know, do you want to end up like this? Ah, all right, okay. So the same thing here, you know, when you read verse 6 or 7 and 8, it's the same idea, isn't it? He keeps giving you being rooted, built up, right? Strengthen, you know, walk in Jesus. So many ideas. Why does he do that? Because it's very important. Because now you receive Jesus, you must continue in Jesus and not be led astray by these things. And last of all, not by these elemental spirits of the world, which are actually your enemies. See, the, the, the reality is, people do not wake up in the morning and say, okay, I'm going to throw away the gospel of Jesus and I'm going to follow something else. That doesn't happen. That's not real life, right? What usually happens is, you, you take a little bit of false teaching, you add it to the real thing. You, you know, you, instead of being rooted in Jesus, you, 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 you spread your roots a bit further to something else. Or, you know, you, you feel like, okay, instead of just building on Jesus, maybe I'll take this idea from the world, or I'll take this idea from somewhere else, and I'll try to fit it into my Christian life. Don't you, that's what usually happens, don't you think? But as we read this passage, it's a very dangerous thing to do. It reminds me of when I was working in Australia, and one day, my colleague who was an Australian came and, uh, and was beside me. He was very upset. And I said to him, what happened? Why are you so upset? He said, oh, his sister went to a party and someone dropped some pill or spiked her drink and she passed out. She didn't wake up until the next afternoon. See, all it takes is a little bit of, I don't know what, powder or of medicine and you will be knocked out, isn't it? It will, it will knock you out. It will make you unconscious, it will spoil your day, right? And I think that's what Paul was saying here, that's what God is saying. It, we must be very wary 
Because even a little bit of false teaching can really have a major impact on your Christian life. So my challenge for you, even at this early stage in the sermon, is how seriously do you take walking in Jesus alone? Are you rooted in Jesus alone? Are you built up in Jesus alone? Are you strengthened in the faith as you were taught? Are you overflowing with thankfulness? Are you watching out for all these things? Again, uh, I have another book here. Here is that book review. Huh? Okay, I have a book here. The Reformed Pastor. Published 1656. Wow, that's a long time ago. And it's been reprinted. I don't know, many, many times, right? Okay. And I like his point here. He's saying that one day there will be people in hell. And when they are in hell, they will see their pastor. And they will say to the pastor, Wow, you're here. Why is it? Why is it, right? You didn't teach us the right thing. Was it for the sake of our applause that you didn't want to teach us the hard truths? Was it the sake of our money, he says, that you didn't want to teach us the right things? You didn't want to hurt our feelings? Was it for the sake of our attendance that you don't want to, to tell us that we were wrong? Right? And he says that in this book, it's just like, you know, when you go to a doctor and you go for a blood test, whatever, if, if you have cancer, if you have HIV AIDS, when you go and see the doctor again, the doctor is not going to say, well, you know, I don't want to hurt your feelings, so I don't want to tell you what the real problem is, right? The doctor will tell it to you, you know, you have cancer, or you have a heart problem, or you have AIDS. And he's saying that's what is at stake, isn't it? Because life and death is at stake. And he's saying that's the same thing for us. Life and death is at stake when it comes to our teaching. We need to be clear of whether we are in the right way or the wrong way. Okay, let's turn now to look at what exactly was the problem uh, during that time. So let's look at verse 16. Okay? Verse 16. Is that there? Okay. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you or what you eat, or drink, or regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are the shadows of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Now, this first part uh, deals with the wrong teaching, okay, the wrong doctrine. So he's saying that the way that these false teachers were talking about was by religion, not by Jesus. So that means the way to salvation is by what you do, right? Religion, uh, rules and regulations, and not by Jesus. So you see here the focus on food, isn't it? Uh, what you eat, what you drink, or a religious festival, what you, what you, you know, what days, special days you keep. And it seems as if they were saying that in order to be saved, you needed to do different things. You know, you couldn't eat this food, or you couldn't touch this thing, 
you have to keep this rule. But it goes against what the whole of what we've learned of Jesus, just as has taught us in chapter 1, isn't it? Because in chapter 1, we are saved not by what we do, but by what Jesus has done. Okay, so if you look up here on the slide, alright, remember we learned that we are saved by what Jesus has done on the cross. He is God, God's Son, He died on the cross, so we are saved. But these wrong teachers, if you look on this side, they were saying, no, we are saved not by what Jesus has done, it's what we do by food or by religious days. And that's why if you look at our Bible study notes, right, you can finally understand the, the, the cover, right? Because the cover says, done, done, okay? And that's the heart of Colossians because it is about what Jesus has done and not what we do. And look at what it says here. It says, do not let anyone judge you. And the idea here is that someone sits in judgment over you. Now, who are these people who sit in judgment over us? Now, if you look here on the slide, I've sort of combined everything for you, right? Verse 8. Next slide. Verse 8 all the way to the end of the thing. Because, you know, unless we have a super long sermon, I can't cover everything, right? But you notice here, there is an underlying theme of these elemental spirits or these basic principles or these powers and authorities who are actually standing against Jesus. They are standing against Christians, against God, right? So, uh, verse 8, uh, if you look up here, you can follow what I'm saying. Right? I highlighted it for you. So, the yellows, look at the yellows first, okay? Don't worry, don't get confused. Right? Just look at yellow, okay? Yellow first. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive principles, sorry, philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world. So, like, these are like uh, forces which are ranged against God, right? Rather than on Christ. Or in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and you've been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Uh, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So you see here that these powers and authorities are not neutral things, right? Uh, they are not sort of like uh, innocent, um, you know, material things, but they are like spiritual powers. Spiritual powers found in people, could be heavenly, worldly, we're not sure what he means, but these things seek to bring Christians under their control. And how do they bring Christians under their control? By, by sitting in judgment of them and saying, look, you must do all these things in order to be saved. It's like, when we read this part, it should be like when you go to a movie, you know, and the spooky music starts, you know, the scary music. Right, okay, that sort of stuff. It's the same thing. When we hear these basic principles of this world, these elemental spirits of the universe, these powers and authorities, these things are actually ranged against God. And they seek to actually bind people, to hold people captive against God. But look at what it says in the green part. Okay, look at what it says in the green part. Okay, you should do this in Bible study, you understand a lot better. But it says, But in Christ, all the fullness of the deity, all the fullness of God, lives in bodily form. 
and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head of every power and authority. So, if Jesus has all the fullness of God, you live in Jesus, you have all the fullness of God in you, and therefore, you are you no longer fear all these powers and authorities. Can you see what the green part says? We have been given the fullness of God. We do not need to fear all these elemental spirits. We do not need to fear these powers and authorities anymore. So his point is very clear. If we have all the fullness in Jesus, then why do we submit to these powers and these authorities? Because they have been defeated by Jesus. There, there is no sin in our life because of what Jesus has done. There is no way we need to do anything to make ourselves right with God because we have been given God. So therefore, we are saved by the reality of what Jesus has done and not what we do. Now, it's very easy for us to look in the world and to say, yes, Jesus saves me. I'm saved by faith alone and Jesus alone. But many people continue to live under, they, sit, they, they let these powers and authorities sit in judgment over them. So people say, you know, unless you can speak in tongues, you are not really saved. Well, isn't that someone letting someone sit in judgment over you to see whether you pass the language test? Okay? Or maybe someone says to you, you need to be baptized in a certain way, you know, unless you're completely immersed in the ocean. Right? Some people say bathtub is not good enough. Right? Or, you know, sprinkled water, that's not good enough. Isn't that allowing someone to sit in judgment over you again? Say, okay, you haven't been baptized in the right way, so you're not really saved. Now, I think that all of us have this great temptation uh, to, to be attracted by this. You know, we need to do something. Like, we need to do something to be saved. So turn to me to our, your bulletin, right? Turn me to your bulletin. Let's look at our, our uh, worship plan, right? So I think it's very good what we've done. But let's say uh, one day uh, we decide to take out the benediction. So uh, I, I, we just don't have benediction one day, right? Okay, so now I think that might not be a good idea. I mean, I, I like the benediction. But you see, the thing is, the benediction is not a salvation issue, isn't it? We're not saved because we have the benediction at church. But if someone says, you must have the benediction, if not, you're not a real church or you're not a real Christian, then that's, that's getting very dangerously close to actually having something sit in judgment over you, isn't it? Or someone says to you, oh, okay, uh, unless we sing a certain song or we, we, we need to sing certain types of music, right? then we're not really Christian. Then again, that is actually having a rule, letting these powers and authorities sit in judgment over us. Because don't forget, it all comes back down to receiving the gospel just as we received it. That is not what we do to be saved. It is what Jesus has done for us. So we should never let powers and authorities, elemental spirits of this world sit in judgment over us for salvation issues. Okay? I mean, I'm not saying we should throw the, our doxology away. I'm saying that we should never make it a salvation issue. Now, the next point that he goes on to say is that the first part uh, was looking at the wrong teaching, but now he looks at the wrong teachers. In verse 18, right? Verse 18. This is, he shifts from the teaching to the teachers. And he says, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility 
or the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Now here, uh, we don't know exactly who Paul is talking about, but obviously the Colossian Christians would have had a very good idea. But there are three characteristics which he describes this person. Okay, the, the first thing is here, he says that this person has false humility. False humility. Now, I don't think he's saying that this person is a very uh, humble person, as in, you know, he walks around, he never looks at you, he's always looking down. Okay? He, he, the, the word false humility here, if you, if you look at verse 23, you need to look at your Bibles, right? I don't think I put it up there. Oh, I did, okay. False humility, right? Same word. Later on, he talks about false humility, and false humility is the idea of uh, these three ideas. Uh, self-imposed hardship, harsh treatment, self-imposed worship. So, this false humility is not just an attitude, but an action. Okay, so, uh, I can think of a few. So, like, the idea of fasting. You know, if a, fa- a person is fasting, they look very humble. Or the idea of maybe praying through the whole night. That if you pray the whole night, wow, what a really holy person you must be. And, actually, I went across a church once before, and, uh, Will never, I, I don't intend to bring this practice here, so you, you're very, very lucky. Lah. But in this church, right, I was reading the bulletin, and what they try to encourage all the Bible study groups to do is, on the night before every public holiday, the whole Bible study group comes together and prays for the whole night, an all-nighter prayer session before every public holiday. Now, seems like a very holy and humble thing to do, right? But then, uh, the people there at the, this church didn't seem particularly holy or humble to me. Right? I mean, it's just it's just a practice that they did, right? And I remember some another church where there's a practice of washing people's feet. So imagine that okay, you walk to the door and we wash your feet for you. Okay, it seems like we're very humble people also. But again, in this church, uh, this friend of mine was there, and apparently they're not very humble people. It's just a, you know, after a while, the foot washing is just something that you have to go through. And I remember someone else telling me that uh, they, uh, they, they went to the Korean church and uh, you don't have to do this to me, please. But apparently this Korean church, right, the members of the church bow down with their face to the ground to the pastor. Right? And, uh, but apparently uh, the people at this church also, they, 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 they've had a pastor, one pastor every year, so obviously maybe they're not so humble after all, right? But, you see, these are all practices which reflect Humility is not bowing to the ground, washing people's feet, maybe praying through the whole night fasting. But he says it's false humility. It's false humility. It doesn't, it's, it's a harsh treatment of the body. And then this person, uh, this false teacher also, they worship angels. In fact, uh, the exact phrase here is the worship of angels. Now, it could mean they worship angels or they worship like angels. Okay, but in both ways, the idea is, I have a superior form of worship. You know, instead of human type worship, right? I worship like an angel. Wow, imagine that. I don't know how that works, but you know, I've got angelic worship, man. Or I worship the angel, so my worship is better than yours. Because you know, yours is like dial-up modem, but mine is like cable, see? Okay, I'm worshipping to the angel. Right, but in every way, I'm still more spiritual, right? More spiritual than you, because you know, you're, you're only human worship. But mine is angel-like worship. Then the last one, 
This person goes into great detail about what he has seen, uh, not as in watching a movie, right? But what he has seen in heaven, spiritual vision. It's like Paul being taken up to heaven and seeing, or John in the book of Revelation, seeing what's going to happen in the future. Now, how many of you have seen heaven? Any of you see into the future through heaven? No, right? So that means if someone comes in here and they have seen heaven, or they've seen the future in heaven, they're immediately more spiritual than all of us, don't you think? Right? They're super spiritual, man. This guy can see heaven. All I can see is here. Okay? But look at what the Bible says in verse 18. He says, um, sorry, verse 18. It says, such a person goes into great detail what he has seen, but his mind is unspiritual, right? His unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. That is amazing, isn't it? Because for someone who, if you, if you met someone who prayed throughout the whole night, can see heaven, worship like angels, you think, wow, this person is super, super spiritual. But the Bible says, actually, this person is unspiritual. He's unspiritual. He's just got, he's a dreamer, basically. That's what this word. He's a dreamer, idle notions. But more than that, it's just that that person has lost connection with the head. Now, what does that mean, lost connection with the head? In chapter 1, who is the head of the church? Jesus Christ. And it says here, without the head, there are no nutrients, no ligaments, and no, um, what's that then? You were dead. It doesn't grow anymore. So here, Christ is the head, and this person has lost connection with the head. And therefore, this person, if you follow this person, you will be disqualified. Right? You see the word disqualified in green there? Now the word disqualified there literally means that you have the prize, but then you lose it. Right? So imagine you run the 100 meter race, you finish number one, I'm the winner, and then five minutes later, false start. You disqualified, you lost the prize. It's the idea where you are running and someone encroaches into your interests and take it away, right? It's like, you know, you, you bought a property or you buy something and someone, you know, through some way encroaches in your interests and takes it away. It's like, you know, you're in the playground and you have your toy and some bully comes and kicks sand in your face and takes it away. That's the idea. This false teacher comes and takes away your prize. And what is the prize? The prize of heaven. Not is it bad enough that these powers and authorities which are against God sit in judgment of you, if you follow these powers and authorities, you will be disqualified from heaven. And that's why it's so serious. You know there's a saying, if it looks like a shark, if it swims like a shark, and it bites like a shark, then what must it be? A shark, right? Now, the problem is in the world we live in, these false teachers, they teach false teaching, they've lost connection, they have all these visions, they are not rooted and built up in Christ, but no one calls them false teacher. But the Bible says that we must identify false teaching, we must be wary of false teaching, wary of false teachers. See, just because I come up here and I say, Amen, Hallelujah, praise God, Jesus said to me, doesn't mean that I'm, I'm actually rooted and walking and built up and strengthened in Christ. It is receiving the gospel as they were taught. So in conclusion, I think this passage actually is a great warning to us. It's a great warning to us as that we have Jesus. 
But we must not just say, okay, we receive Jesus, we must continue in Jesus. Being rooted, built up, reinforced in our faith, overflowing in thankfulness. The positive instruction. The negative instruction is we must watch out for empty teaching, deceitful teaching, based on the philosophies of this world, the human traditions of this world, based on you know, elemental spirits which are against God. Now, my last book for today uh, is from this book called The Kingdom of Cults. Okay, the Kingdom of Cults, very good book, uh, published 1965, republished many times. And I like uh, what he says. He says that actually in America, you know the cults, uh, the cults like Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, right? They are growing faster than all the Protestant and the Catholic churches combined. In America, the cults grow faster than every single denomination of either Protestants or Catholic church. And why is it? Well, he quotes this guy and he says, the cults are the unpaid bills of the church. What do you mean? The The cults are the unpaid bills of the church. See, he's saying that unpaid bills are, are where the church has failed, has failed to pay the bills of teaching its people well, of warning its people, and of making sure that they are walking in Jesus and built up and rooted in Christ. And when you don't pay these bills, well, these bills will come back and bite you and these church members will all flow to the cults. Because if you look at the, this uh, analysis, it actually shows that the growth in the cults don't come from non-Christians. They are actually people in churches who go to the cults. So the, the cults are actually based on the unpaid bills of the church. And he says one of the main problems is, the mantra for the church today is, let's play down the things that divide us and emphasize the things that unite us. Have you heard that before? You know, like, so let's all be friends. Like, we just play down our differences and we'll play up the things that unite us. But he says, that is foolish, and that is stupid, and that is dumb. But not only is it foolish, stupid, and dumb, it is not biblical, right? it is not godly. Because here, in Colossians chapter 2, it doesn't play up the things that, uh, uh, no, uh, emphasize the things that unite us, and play down the things that divide us. It actually says, this is wrong, this is false teaching, this is a false teacher. Because you might be united, right? But instead of being united in Christ and rooted in Him, you're united in hell. Okay, so it's not Manchester United, you have hell united, right? Because if you do not identify the false teaching and say this is wrong, then that's what happens. We all get disqualified from the prize. So he says uh, there is a, in America, the American Banking Association uh, sends all the bank tellers to be a bank teller in America. You have to go to Washington for this two-week program to help you detect counterfeit money. Okay, so, you know, they, they go and then they, you know, this is, this is mandatory, you know, every bank teller in America has to go through this course to detect counterfeit money. But the amazing thing is, during this two-week course, you never once touch a counterfeit note. Right, during this two-week course, you never once touch the counterfeit note. For the whole two weeks, all you do is you touch the original. And you, you, you play the original, you look at the originals from Microsoft. In fact, by the end of two weeks, you know the original so well that it's like the back of your hand. And the thinking is, once you know the original so well, 
you will, you will always recognize the counterfeit. And that, that's the same thing you see for us. As we are rooted in Jesus, we are built up in Him, as we are strengthened in our faith, as we walk only in Jesus, we will see the counterfeit. We will see the wrong. We will see the false. And it's so important for us, isn't it? So today as we are challenged by God's Word, this is not an optional thing. Huh? This is not a choice. But God says, continue in Jesus just as you've received Him. Are you doing that? Are you walking in Jesus alone? Are you rooted in Jesus? Are you built up only in Jesus? Are you strengthened in Him? Are you overflowing your thankfulness? Or have you allowed those small you know, lies or mistruths or philosophies of the world or things based on elemental spirits of the world to come into your thinking? Because if you have, my friends, you are in great danger. You may be disqualified from the prize. You may be sitting in hell one day. And I will wish that on none of you. So let us take this warning really seriously. And let us follow Jesus alone, just as we received Him. And to call a spade a spade and say, this is wrong teaching, this is wrong a wrong teacher, and let us not flirt or touch or even think about integrating these things into our life. So let's go to God in prayer. Dear living and heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we hope that for all of us here, that we are all truly just walking in Christ alone. We know that through your Holy Spirit, you can make that happen. We pray that you will help each of us have discernment, have a real desire to want to only follow Jesus, to not be deluded or led astray or to be captured by wrong teachers or wrong teaching. Help us to live apart from the culture of the day which says that we can do what we want, we can include whatever ideas we want into our faith, that we can uh, integrate all sorts of things from different ideas of the world and that we'll still be saved. But let us heed your warning which is so clear that we must continue to walk in Jesus and in Jesus alone. But, uh, dear Father, let us never tire of doing that to the day that your Son returns. Please give us strength for that. Dear Father, we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.